0: As we continue our series on Portraits of Faith, one this morning is a very uniquely different one in style, in tone, and in content. Now, for me, one of the things I've always been fascinated with is how to reach men and influence them for the purposes of the kingdom of God. When any church I've ever been a part of pastoring or leading for more than a year, we determine that, in, uh, in about a year, we had more men attending than women. Now, <clears throat> in most churches around the world, <clears throat> church attendance on Sunday morning is typically excuse me sixty to ninety percent female, and we always bucked those patterns, which was great for families and We noticed that single women loved coming to our church. There were more blokes than usual there, available people for them to, oh, never mind. Um, (Laughter) But I started doing men's conferences before they were in vogue, about 10 years before anybody else thought, oh, these are a good idea. And they were quite fun, but we didn't have much groundwork, and so we had to sort of build momentum as we went. My favorite one was in 1988, I was invited to the inaugural conference of men in Canada. I got this very formal looking letter, and I was one of 250 invited. And that we had to register immediately because the the slots were going to fill up very fast. And here's what the weekend involved. Three days of men. We would go to the woods. We would beat on drums. We would be naked for the weekend. And we would call on the spirits of great men of the past. I don't want to call on spirits of great men of the past. Okay, look, I I like the woods. I, I like drums. I, I could be naked with men for a three-day weekend. It's not my favorite way to spend a weekend, but I, I could do it. But uh, calling on the spirits of a great men in the past, probably not. So a few weeks later, I get another formal letter that says, <clears throat> um, maybe you didn't understand. We, we need you to register now. Um, we're hoping for 150. And then I get another letter that says, please sign up or we'll have to cancel it. And then another letter that they canceled it. I'm assuming it's because men didn't want to be in the woods at night. They were afraid of the dark. I'm assuming that's what it was. But it didn't happen anyway. I remember one of these early conferences I did. Um, We didn't have great music. Uh, Nobody thought about music for men. And so some well-intentioned church men decided they were going to have us sing, "All hail the power of Jesus' name. That just sounds like a bloke song, Right? Well, except there's another line in there that says, let angels prostrate fall on this terrestrial ball. What is that? Doesn't sound very manly. After I'd finished my talk, there was a guy came up who looked like he'd smoked way too much funny stuff. And he said to me, dude, do you guys actually see that stuff? What stuff? He goes, like angels falling from heaven and stuff. Do you see it? I go, all the time. <laughs> and he said, dude, I, I've not seen that since I used to smoke the big roll your own, the big brown ones when I was in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet you enjoyed those. Th- thanks to the Kiwis. <laughs> there is a unique approach that seems to work more with men than with women. You noticed. In the last few weeks, we've looked at a number of passages that were uniquely about women. And uh, several of them came from Luke. We mentioned that Luke loved women. Um, I'm I'm with Luke, except I'm very interested in these kind of passages as well. So in John 5, it's kind of, the best thing is to call it a, it's a a blokey passage. It, It really is. It's this blokey thing. And it's the process of healing your life. Because when Jesus worked with this guy, it wasn't just about his physical ailment. Jesus wanted to go a lot deeper with him. He wanted to look at his life. And so one of the things we're going to do throughout this morning is look at your life from God's perspective. Ronnie said it well in communion. We, when we do this, the text tells us in communion, remember him. Don't make everything about you. Remember him. So this morning, we're going to look at your life from God's perspective. What does he see? What does he want? What does he dream for you? This passage helps us get there. In these first eight verses, there's a key question of the passage. Do you want to be made whole? Some of your Bibles will say, do you want to get well? Now, when we read this, it's as if Jesus was a bit insensitive. Here's a paralyzed guy, paralyzed for 38 years. So what does Jesus do? He goes to him and goes, you want to get better? <laughs> now What's the guy going to do? Reach up and punch him? All Jesus has to do is to take a half step back and don't miss him. He's paralyzed. What, what's Jesus doing? Intimidating a crippled man. Not just crippled, paralyzed. You see, Jesus knew the right question. Do you actually want to get whole? Or you just want relief for the worst of your symptoms? Because, come on, let's be honest with human nature. Most of us change just enough to get relief from the worst of our symptoms. And then we go back to the old patterns. Jesus addresses that very well with this man. Because it's an odd question. Jesus almost seems mean. Well, one of the books that's been out the last few years about these tough passages is called Jesus Mean and Wild. So you're going, seriously, that's a book? I thought Jesus was always nice. No, you've reduced him to that. Jesus dealt with people in tough ways often. What do you actually want? Are you willing to follow through? Are you willing to pay the price, the cost of discipleship? This is one of those passages. And so although it's it's an odd question. He wants to know, do you want to change your life? Or do you simply want some relief for what you're feeling? So in these first eight verses, a direct question demands a direct response. Do you want to get well? Do you want your life to be different? When we started this series, we said most often when people go to seek help, whether it's a physician um, whether it is a medical health professional, a therapist, even a minister, they come with what's called a presenting problem. Here's the issue I want to address. Jesus is saying, fine, but let's move past that. Let's move past that one. Because we can fix what you think is the primary thing you need. But then what do you want your life to be like? What do you actually want your life to be like? We can fix this one problem, but what kind of life do you want? He doesn't want to just settle for getting rid of the thing that bothers you. He wants to change your life. So what do you actually want your life to be like? Be very specific. And he works with this man throughout the entirety of these 15 verses, he makes that clear. So the direct question demands a direct response. What's the direct response? He addresses this man very strongly. Notice from the text that was just read, when Jesus said to him, do you want to get well? What did the man do? He began to make excuses. You see, the way this passage works, this pool would be stirred up. And when it was stirred up, that's when it was believed it had healing powers. So the first person in had a chance of being healed. So when Jesus said, do you want to get better? His immediate response was, see, I'm too slow. I can never get there. He had excuses. He blamed someone else. There's no one to help me. And he kicked into a whinging mode. Now, if this sounds familiar, you probably know someone like this. Of course, it's none of you. But I'll bet in your row, there might be one of these people. That whenever an issue comes up, there's an excuse, there's someone to blame, and there's whinging. Now, what we've discovered... I've only been here a few weeks, but I've listened to some of you, and I've discovered that some of you are really good here. I don't want to be harsh, but I've discovered for some of you that it's possible that this whinging thing, your greatest single gifting in life. By the way, typically, level of laughter, level of guilt go together. Just typically. (laughs) Typically. So Jesus says to him, get up. Get up. Now remember last week when we were working with Jesus healing the little girl who had already died. He used those same words. Get up. Get up. There very kindly. Here very directly. There are a number of passages in scripture. For some of you this may be a study you want to do. My favorite one comes from uh, the Old Testament in Joshua 7. Joshua is having this great difficulty. There's been this... uh, This terrible thing happened. Achan took some things that were under the law. They had this big defeat, or under the ban, they had this big defeat at a place called Ai. And all of a sudden, the hand of God was off of the people of Israel. So Joshua did all that he knew to do as a good Israelite. He did, he went into the learned behavior of repentance. Put on a sackcloth and ashes, tore his clothes, put the ashes on, was plucking out his hair, doing deep repentance, crying out to God. And in the text, it's so clear. God says, Joshua, get up. No on your face, no deep repentance, no whining, no taking care of this the way you always have. There's something wrong and it's time to fix it. And in that passage, seven times he says to Joshua, get up and get it done right. If you'll listen, sometimes it's God's greatest thing he can say to us. It's time to change and you know it. Get up. Do it right. It's the direct response in this passage. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. If we can summarize everything that's been said in this passage so far, it's simply this The word of Jesus. I'll do my part. Now you do yours. We've talked throughout this series. The real wisdom is to know which part's your responsibility and which part's his. Here, he makes it very clear, very directly. You do your part. Get up. Pick up your mat. Walk. Look at the next part of this passage, verses uh, 9 through 13. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Jesus apparently didn't look at his diary. He didn't know that or he wouldn't have healed this man. That's what happens here and comes in the passage. And so in verse 10, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law provides you to carry your mat. Go on time out. The, the bloke has been paralyzed for 38 years. He's gotten a whole new life. And you're worried that he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath? Folks, this is the epitome of the religious spirit. The rules that matter to us are what matters most. And we keep focusing on those. Okay, you can do that other stuff you do. But don't you forget our rules. Our rules matter. Notice how the text goes on. Um, verse 11 but he replied the man who made me well said to me pick up your mat and walk so they asked him who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk the man who was healed said he had no idea because jesus had slipped away into the crowd now i want you to notice That in a text like this, you identify the part that you need to know and the part you don't need to know. Sometimes we want to know it all. We think we need to know all sides of this. We don't. We only need to know our part. Now, again, this was a conversation with the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders wanted to know all the details. The man just didn't know them. This is such a male response. Now, I want you to look at this, both from the text, and then we're going to make an application to life. They ask him a question, he said, I don't know. They ask a clarifying question again, and he said, I didn't think to ask. He said, said, well, what about this? I I, I didn't know I'd need to answer this question. So they ask him yet again, and he said, yeah, I, I don't know. Some of you had conversations this week with your partner that went just like this. Usually there is a woman who needs clarifying answers. And she begins to talk to the man in her life, and she asks a question. He goes, I I don't know. She says, what do you mean you don't know? I I, I didn't know. I would need need to know this. (laughs) Well, what do you mean you don't know? It just makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I I didn't know I'd have to answer all these questions. (laughs) Well, why didn't you think of this? I I, I, I don't know. Just forgive me. I don't don't know. (laughs) Again, level of laughter, level of guilt often go together. (laughs) It's such a blokey response. I, I, I don't know. Look, I used, to, I used to just be there on the ground for 38 years. My life's been transformed. And you want me to answer the details of your questions? I don't know. I don't care. I didn't think about it. I wish I would have thought about it. If I do, next time I'll know. I'll probably no. I'll try to do better. I probably won't. But I'll try to do better. This passage wraps up in verses 15, or 14 and 15. Later, Jesus found him at the temple, and he said to him, See, you're well. Now stop sinning, or something worse will happen to you. The man went his way and told the Jews that it was actually Jesus who had healed him. Now, a quick reading of this passage goes, Wow, Jesus was really mean to this man. Stop sinning, or something worse is going to happen to you. It wasn't a curse, That wasn't what he was doing. He was giving him the human side of his life. This is very essential. Because the human side is most of the time the part we don't want to take responsibility for. That's why we like coming to church. Because we can pray and leave it with God. And he's going, no, 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 this one's yours. You take care of this one. What Jesus is saying to him, look, I've healed your body. But if you go back to the old patterns... Sure, you'll be able to walk, but your life will be a mess. It'll be rubbish. If you want to be whole, you don't go back to the old patterns. You don't go back to the old way of life. You don't go back to the excuses, the blaming, the whinging. You don't go back. Because if you do, it's worse than before. Sure, you can walk, but look at your life. And what Jesus wants to do is heal your life, not just that thing that's a challenge for you. And so essentially, Jesus says to him, mate, it's time. It's time. You know it's time. I know it's time. It's time for a change. It's time to get it right. I want you to notice this passage. It's really not about faith. There's no responsibility. He's not rewarded because he had enough faith. He doesn't say, I I want to be healed, help me with my unbelief. Nothing like that. It is a portrait of faith because as as he believes, his whole life is healed, not just his body. Look at verse 6. It tells us Jesus came to him. He didn't go to Jesus, unlike the other passages we've looked at so far in this series. Verse 8, Jesus spoke directly to his issue. Verse 14, later it says, Jesus came and found him. I love this passage. Because I know we have people here this morning who have not yet embraced a personal faith in Christ yet. You're you're on the edge looking. You're saying, is this real? Is this true? Do I believe this? Am I willing to give my life to this? It's a big American right. He's leaving in a few weeks anyway. I love this. Because this passage tells us that your Father in Heaven has this amazing interest in you. And He wants you. And He'll come after you. He'll come and find you. I love that about Him. And if that makes you nervous, good. Good. But you don't have to be, because he has your best interest in mind. And he wants you. He just wants you. So this passage is so great. It gives you that tone. He just wants you. This passage is not specifically about faith, but it is about your willingness to change fully. To have your life healed. I want you to notice the contrast between last week and this week. Last week, the woman who pressed in, who knew she had this dreadful issue that had to be cured, she tried to sneak up on Jesus. Just a reminder, women, we don't like it when you sneak up on us. Jesus was kind enough to heal her. Look what he said to her. He said in Luke 8, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. That's what he said last week. Marked contrast this week in John 5. He says to the person who needs healing, Get up. What do you want? Stop sinning. Completely different tone, completely different approach. He was kind to the woman. Folks, he's not always kind to us. Because he knows if he is, we don't get the job done. So sometimes, in order to get done what needs done, he just comes after us. In a number of the conferences we do, we do a session on healing the the human soul. Sometimes in a men's thing we call healing the masculine soul. Well, one of the things we discovered early on, that this terminology didn't work well for men. Because how many men ever sit around and go, "I, I think I need to heal the wounds of my soul. Uh, if you've ever heard it, I'd love to talk to you because I've never heard it and I've heard the personal stories of 20,000 men and I've never heard it. Because most men don't think they have a wound. Now, they can have a big open wound and everybody who knows them knows it, except they don't know it. It's not terminology. If you ask women about the wounds of their heart and soul, they remember the details of who said it, who did it, the year, the hour. And they can cry on demand. (laughs) Because they feel it deeply. When it happens to a man, you just draw the line and go, I'm going to move on. Wasn't that bad. Wasn't that bad. So you move on. However, we're going to get to the soul of men. We've got to deal with this kind of stuff that plagues the souls of men. And so I created a terminology in soul wounds. And say if you look at the average man's soul, it has a chunk right out of the side. It's got a couple of things that look like bullet wounds. It looks like there was this jagged cut that didn't get taken care of, much like if you have a cut, a big cut on your arm that needs stitches and you don't get it. It heals up, but it's got a really nasty scar. That's what a lot of men's souls look like. If we could do an MRI of a man's soul, It would be intriguing. You'd find all sorts of things would show up. Look at the screen. Now, I have a doctorate. It's not in medicine. But I am sharp enough to know this is not an MRI image. But we have here a a knife stuck right into somebody's body. And it shows up. Now, if we did an MRI on your soul... What would show up? You see, that's the part that Jesus wants to heal. He wants to heal your life. That's the part He wants to go after. So men, let me talk to you for just a minute. If we did one of these MRIs, we need you to look at all those hits, those nicks, those chunks out of it even some partial paralysis in one whole side of your soul. I want you to remember it. Identify the wounds. Who was it? What was it? What was the situation? What was the pain? And remember it, because it's the only way it will heal your life. There are some six words for man in the Old Testament, Hebrew words. And one of them... Is the wounded warrior. We go through this wounded, we go through this warrior stage. It's the competitive spirit. It's that you have to win. It's the competition. It's why men are good at business. It's why men are good at athletics. It's why they do a lot of the things they do. It's this warrior thing. But as men go throughout this stage in their life, there's natural wounding. It happens to everybody. If you listen to the stories of men who have been in battle, almost all of them have some sort of wound or scar. You can't escape it. It's what you deal with it or how you deal with it that makes the biggest difference because you have to deal with it. Watch the screen. I remember the first time I showed this, there was a, a men's conference and we allowed women to come to one of the sessions and told them, but you can't ask any questions or make any comments. You just watch. I showed this clip and there was a woman right sitting right there. She goes, but that's not realistic. <laughs> and I said, you don't get to talk. <laughs> said, men, is she right? And all the men went, No. I said, for you to try and understand a man's soul is like a man trying to understand your hormonal changes. (laughs) They don't make sense to him. They just know there's something going on. (laughs) But every man said, that's happened to me. A direct shot right, right in the soul. But you act like nothing happened. You break it off and you keep going like nothing ever happened. The problem is, something did happen. And your ability to trust and to be a man of courage, your ability to love and be loved, to be the kind of man that you want to be and God wants you to be, has become limited because of this limitation to your soul. Because you see, once you move, deal honestly in this warrior stage with the wounds then you move to the final stage of a man's life. And that's the man of wisdom, the sage. We want to need those men. We need them in our families. We need them in our communities. We need them in our church. Because as we get older, I don't know if you notice, men, not that many people ask for our opinions. We don't need older men with opinions. We need older men with wisdom. And we get those by going through the wounding stage, and taking it deep and identifying what it is. And as with this man, letting Jesus heal your life. John 5, when Jesus heals your life, we've throughout this whole series talked about the part you're responsible for and the part he's responsible for. Let's make this one very clear. In John 5, you update your view of yourself and of God. You take responsibility for all your stuff, all your rubbish. You take responsibility for it. You trust Him fully with your life. You follow through. You take it all the way. And you have now just entered a no-excuse, no-blaming, no-whinging zone. In about three and a half minutes, man, I'm going to ask you to do something you've never done before. At church services, very often at the end, we'll we'll sing a song and ask people to even respond and come forward. If you've noticed, not very many men do that. A, men don't sing. Right, men? We uh, we may hum a little, um, whistle once in a while. Either in the shower or the car, never where anybody hears us. And most of us are grateful that that's where you do it. So here's what we're going to do. No song. I'm going to ask you to go with me, and we're going to walk out, and we're going to go out the side. Many of you would like to walk out of services early every week. I'm going to give you permission to do it. I want you to think about it. As we wrap this up, folks, it's time for an honesty checkup. An honesty checkup. One summer I was traveling around speaking at conferences and camps, and I was a little bored and thought, I'm going to interview people. Well, that continued on. I've now got almost 2,000 people I've interviewed, and I ask them four questions about their life. Question number one, 2,000 responses. Since coming to a personal faith in Christ, what has changed most in your life? I wish I would have gotten permission early on to run a video camera. It would have been fun. People have these great stories that they love to tell. And as they tell them, they they get energized. I mean, their whole body language changes. They sit up straight, big smile, their eyes are bright. It's like everyone becomes Italian all of a sudden. Their arms are waving. They're very energetic. They're telling you this. It's, It's quite fun to watch. I usually have to cut people off and go, let's go to question number two. Question number two. What has not changed in your life that you thought would have? And again, if the cameras were rolling, people would drop down a little. Their eyes would drop especially. Their posture would go down. They would start talking about things that were hard or bad or disappointing. And then we go to question number three. In this life change process, what's kept you from changing more? Because if you only know this much about faith, if you've only been around church a little bit, you know a passage from Second Corinthians 5 that says, If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation, and the old's have passed away, and behold, all things become new. So here's the question. Why aren't you more new? Come on. Well, in the interviews, it was interesting to watch. Because the same people who just a few moments ago were telling me this great life change story, all of a sudden, started to excuse themselves and blame other people and just whinge. I don't know if you've picked up, I'm not good with that stuff. And every part of me wanted to climb across the table and grab them and shake them and even smack them upside the head and yell at them and go, you don't deserve the kingdom. Then I had to remember two things. Number one, I'm supposed to be an objective researcher, so yelling at people and threatening them isn't helpful for objectivity. And number two, none of us deserve the kingdom. And I quickly moved to question four. Which is, okay, fine. What resources do you need? And for me, here was the sad part. People who had lots to say about why they weren't doing better had nothing to offer when asked, what do you need? It was lots easier to blame and excuse than to know what's the next step I have to take to heal my life. What is it? Let's wrap this up. In this passage, we see the power of Jesus to heal someone's life, the totality of their life, not just their physical need. But they had to interact with the religious spirit. We're going to revisit that for just a moment. Because for some of us, it's what plagues us and holds us back, which is why we're going to take the time to address it Tuesday evening. But I also want to mention it because some of you are going to need it for what I'm going to say next. I'm now an older man. That's obvious. But I'm trying to figure out always how do I stay effective at reaching young guys? And so I've discovered my newest thing is cigar evangelism. I did not smoke a thing from age 20 to 50. And I discovered at about 50 years old that in America, if you don't know this, because of the Cuban Missile Crisis and all that back in '63, there's been an embargo on Cuban cigars in America. They're illegal. I get them, mostly in legal ways. Um, No, legal ways, I promise. But I figured out most young guys have never had one in America. And they've heard the legend of how great these are. And even in countries like Australia where they're, Legal, they're dreadfully expensive. I checked. A good one is about 40 bucks. So most young guys haven't smoked them. And so I say, look, here's what we're going to do. Meet somebody who either has no idea about faith or grew up around years ago and hasn't thought about God in any good ways for a long time. And I say to him, here's what we're going to do. I want you to get ten of your mates coming to your place on Friday. We're going to build a fire in a fire pit. I want an hour. We're going to talk about your soul. He always looks at me and goes, what, what do you mean my soul? What's my soul? I say that place where you never go. We're going to go there. Get your mates. I need an hour. I'll bring the cigars. So we get there and start. Light them up. They always ooh and ah. never had anything this good. Oh, this is great. I stole some from my grandfather a long time ago. Those were dreadful. These are great. Stories always go the same way. I've done it now in eleven countries. It's worked every time. But we transition and say, okay, it's time to talk about your soul. Most young men have some anger issues. Let's start. Mate, you look like the most angry you start. What's your story? And he starts to talk. Pretty soon everybody's talking. It is stories about something that happened or somebody who hurt them. Very often it comes around to disappointment with their father. And I step in and say, let me tell you something. God, as your Father in Heaven, is nothing like the people who've hurt you or disappoint you, I promise. He wants you and He wants your soul. Here's what it looks like. The other thing is it takes almost two hours to smoke a good Cuban. I don't tell them that up front. But nobody minds. Those are some of the best conversations. The first time I did it, out of the ten young men there, seven prayed to receive Christ that night. In the next three days, two more. There's always at least two to ten of the ten come to faith. Because nobody talks to them about their soul. But that's the part God wants. Men, in the next 60 seconds, I'm going to ask a number of you to do something you've never done. You're going to step out and you're going to walk out with me in that direction. And you're going to go to the next level of following God and you're going to deal with the issues of your soul. I'm going to give you another 45 seconds to think about it. It's not for all of you. Take, your, take pressure off yourself. It's not for all of you. But there's about two hand, or one handful, maybe two handfuls of men here today that you know it's you. It's really clear. If you ask God, he'll go, duh, this is you. And one way to tell is, if you're so nervous you'd rather be most anyplace else, it's probably you. (laughs) So I'm going to give you another 30 seconds to think it through. It's time to go to the next level. It's time to deal with the soul. I'm going to give you 15 seconds just to think about it. And then you're going to walk out with me if this is your day. It's time. If it's you and you know it, stand up, walk out with me right now.